Is there anything more terrifying than not knowing what the best horror film ever made is? Probably. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test. My name's Jack Howard. I'm joined, as always, by the Chief Film Critic at The Independent. And since we're talking about horror, I'm going to do it. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> the phrase that has haunted me my entire life. The fun thing is that people used to say it to me before I'd seen Silence of the Lambs or knew what it was because I was a small child. So right. That was extra fun. Yeah, it's an appropriate thing, I think, to say to a little girl. Uh, just do an impression of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, very appropriate. Thank you to all the people who did that. The chief film critic at the Independent Clarice Lockery, one third of the cyber nerds, Joa Kimwin. What's good? And this week we have comedian Alistair Beckett King joining us. Hello. Hello. You have an incredible name. Thank you very much. Uh, it doesn't work as well in Anthony Hopkins's creepy Hannibal Lecter voice. Hello, Alistair Beckett King. Actually, it has worked for me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is still chilling. Wow. So Halloween's only four months away. How'd that make you feel? That's scary, isn't it? Let's talk about the greatest horror film of all time. St. Maud just came onto Prime Video and it's genuinely terrifying. It reminded me of Taxi Driver, like a real character study, but thrust into a horror film. I really enjoyed it. There's also films on there like The Babadook, the Paranormal Activity films, as well as Insidious. And what's more, there's a new series on there called Them, which even terrified the master of horror himself, Stephen King, and I'm sure he doesn't scare easily. But what I want to know is, what did the panel on the screen test think the best and the scariest horror movie is of all time? Let's have an extended conversation about it. <laughs> Are you a fan of horror movies in general? Is this a big subject for you, Alistair? I do like horror movies, although I think I like the ones that aren't very scary. I like horror films that are weird rather than scary, I think. All right, that, that explains your choice. It does explain my choice. So what have we picked this week? Alistair, we're going to start with you. My film is The Wicker Man. Yeah, it is a weird one. Yep. The original. <laughs> the, oh, the yeah, yeah, one. yeah. No, the non, the, I believe the full title of it is the, the Wicker Man brackets, not the Nicolas Cage one, close brackets. Joe, what have you, what have you picked? Uh, my movie is A Journey Into the Sunken Place, Get Out. Nice. What have you picked that one for? I picked Get Out because I just feel like it's the first horror movie that really touched my soul in a way that it's like deeper than just jump scares and... I don't scary know, spooky narrative way. and someone you know what I'm saying someone chasing you hacker slasher chasing you down the street um, it's scary but then obviously there's real life implications in it and social narratives that I feel like are even more scarier than the events that are going on in the movie so I feel like it's, it's special nice alright Clarice what have you what have you brought I went for a pretty obvious one, but that, this has been my favorite horror movie since I was like a little teenager, idiot teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but it is The Shining. And I think I've always loved it because it speaks to like what I am specific, like specifically very afraid of. And it's not necessarily ghosts because I, I'm confident that ghosts don't exist but I'm not confident <laughs> I'd like to say now I am confident I'm confident I'm pretty confident but I'm not confident in my brain's uh <laughs> capacity to not show me ghosts gotcha and so I I think The Shining has that sort of perfect melding of the psychological and the supernatural where every time I finish watching it I'm like mm, what's my brain gonna do tonight <laughs> well what's really interesting actually is that I mean, it's kind of a similar horror formula for a lot of things, but all three of your films are about 
protagonist goes to strange new place and then horrible things happen. What do you think The Wicker Man, for example, is... Because that's something I think I was struggling to get hold of upon re-watching it, was I know that The Shining and Get Out are referencing specific things that human beings deal with. And The Wicker Man feels like that very 70s, almost like the same way that The Exorcist, this sort of crisis of what it means to be a human these days and this crisis of faith and things like that. What is it for you, Alistair, that, that you think it's reflecting? Uh, the Wicker Man's interesting because it's sort of... Folk horror is the genre, but it's it's weird to come up with a genre that only applies to a handful of films that existed for a very short period of time. It's like film noir in that respect. Yeah. These films represent a certain sort of horror sensibility that is quite distinctive, and it's eerie, and it's unheimlich, and it's unsettling, and it's... I'll give you a bonus point straight away for using the word unheimlich. That's why I said it. I, wanted a point. <laughs> I only said it for a point. Uh, I'll just try and use other good words as I go on. I don't know what I'm saying. Just try and impress I do know me. some good words. Uh, yeah, but it, it's about the uncanny and it's about, um, it's not full of great big monsters. It's not full of, uh, as you say, jump scares. It's full of ordinary things with a eerie twist i think it's interesting for me like watching this movie recently and never watching it like just watching it recently is that i don't see the main character like as the protagonist of mm. the movie like he doesn't come across as a nice person in general like he shows up at this island where they're all kind of like living peacefully in their way and he's trying to like force his ideals and ideologies onto these people and i by the time we got to the end of the movie and like they were setting them on fire. I was like, well, this is probably the best way to keep their community and their happiness safe. I don't know if that's wrong, but that's kind of how I felt about it because he just comes over and he's just like, this is wrong, that's wrong. And like, they're all kind of fine. Do you know what I'm saying? Before, <laughs> I before. wasn't expecting anyone to side with the people doing the human sacrifice. But I, I mean, like I'm, not, I'm not promoting human sacrifice. <laughs> I'm just going to put that oh, out there right now. now. Let's yeah. get that disclaimer out of the way. All right. But um, I just feel like he's not a very likable character. You're right. That right up until the end, arguably, there's the, the people on the island are right that their way of life is legitimate. But the, the film, I think, does it... Am I allowed to give away the ending? Is that Absolutely, acceptable? Absolutely, of course you are. I don't think the it's a man. twist. It's on the front cover of all the posters now. <laughs> it came out in 1973. It feels like we want to talk about memorable scenes first. So oh. let's, let's just start that round. We're going to talk about memorable scenes. Let's talk about that ending. Well, uh, I mean, that's it. He, it, it uh, it's, the, it's the scene everyone remembers, but I think what is more important in the film is the scene that comes just before, or the beginning of the scene. On the cliff. Yeah, because that's the point where you realise, oh, actually, this is a proper film with a twist in the tale. The whole film is he's looking for this girl, Rowan, who he first of all thinks is missing, and then he thinks she's dead, and then he digs up her grave, and it's a coffin with a dead hair inside, which is really creepy. Uh, and then he realises she's being held in order to be sacrificed to appease the gods of nature because they had a bad harvest. Uh, and then, after finally finding her, he realises that the whole thing has been a setup to lure him, a, a pure-hearted virgin uh, who came of his own free will to the island so that he could be a sacrificed. Fool. Now that, 
is I have ruined the film. But that is that is a good twist. That is a good, solid, well-plotted twist in a film that is very meandering and doesn't give the impression that it is setting you up for a gut punch. Yeah, it, you're twist. right. It doesn't feel like it's actually like spearheading towards something. And then when that happens, it's like, oh shit, I've I didn't yeah, I didn't see this coming. I'm not sure it makes perfect sense because if they wanted him there, why didn't the guys help him get off the plane when he arrived? I'm not sure it makes perfect sense, but it's but it's very very tightly written in the way that it reels you in so that you're you're with him and I think you don't see the twist coming. It's interesting like what I find so fascinating about The Wicker Man is that it's both a horror, it's the horror of pagan beliefs, but it's also like Robin Hardy so went out of his way to like carefully replicate pagan beliefs. So it's quite, it's quite accurate and quite loving at the same time. So I, I can never quite get a grasp on, on whether it's like pro or anti paganism because yeah. it's so seductive until the end. And like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well that part, if we just got rid of the human sacrifice, I'd be kind of into this. <laughs> yeah. We could do the not burning people and also the little piggy. Yeah. Feel the, bad for him. It's very sort of have your cake of a giant naked person and eat it in that um, we're saying, isn't, you know, we're being presented with a dis, sort of a disgusting and terrifying uh, uh, earthy religion, but also it's got Britt Eklund and a body double dancing around naked, banging on walls, which is, I think, how people did seduction in the 1970s. I think that was normal. Yeah, and it's a it very kind 70s of, film. It is. <laughs> I had forgotten until I rewatched it this weekend. I'd forgotten that it was a musical because there is a lot of folk music in yeah. it. And I will get this out of the way. Very few of them are bangers. <laughs> I, I like... I like British folk music and none of these are, it's not real Not even folk the Landlord's music. Daughter. That one's <laughs> the, land, no, the Landlord's Daughter, you can that's got a chorus. And <laughs> we can all enjoy The Landlord's Daughter, uh, which I think is the premise of the song. And the way you say that the, the research into how pagan beliefs work feels very authentic. I think the songs don't feel as authentic. The songs feel distinctly 1970s, which is unfortunate because it would be nice if they had uh, a very ancient feeling like everything else has. I'll give you a little bonus point for honesty there, Alistair, okay. about the songs. I thought I had to say it. No, All right, Joe, let's move on to Get Out. <laughs> so one of the most memorable scenes for me is um, the reveal that Rose, Daniel Kaluuya's girlfriend, is actually in on the plot. And I feel like the way that whole scene plays out is, it's just crazy to me. Like it actually makes my skin, my skin crawl because the whole time she's like the anchor for him. Like he's... He's confused. He doesn't know what to do. He's obviously got reservations about going home to the fa to the, going to the family home. But um, when he gets there, she's the one who's like, "All right, we'll be all right. We're in this together." Like, do you know what I'm saying? She hears that reassurance. So when he opens up that closet and goes through those pictures, and when she says she's never dated a black guy before, and he's going through and there's ten, eleven, twelve pictures of her in relationships, and then the door closes and she's there, and it's like. It's like, he knows now, but at the same time, he still, because of how he feels about it, he still doesn't even want to believe it. So he's still like, where are the keys? I think we're the same way as yeah. well. Like this part of me, when I was watching it, I remember the first time being like, no, this is, this is part of something else. Yeah. Like, but it feels like a real betrayal. Yeah, I was all over the place. And as they come down the stairs and like, um, he's standing in the landing, the brother's blocking off the door, the dad's standing by the fireplace and the mum's just coming out of the kitchen, I believe. It's like every 
exit is mm-hmm. blocked and it's like it it gets very claustrophobic in that moment and you're like there's there's no way to get out of this and then as um the brother moves in you can see rose on the background on the stairs like completely changing personality when she reveals oh i do have the keys but i can't give them to you she ties her hair back she comes down and it's just like she's not even been like roped into this this is who she is like it's just it it just takes longer for that reveal and at that moment i'm just mind blown like yeah. boom it's apparently it's i saw an interview with the actress who forgive me i can't remember her name Alison Williams. Thank you. Girls. Damn, I was trying to get a bonus point. Bonus yeah. point for Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because um, like, I'm a white lady. I've seen girls. So <laughs> I know who she is. Alison Williams talks about how when white people talk to her in the street about that movie, that she gets asked. She was brainwashed, right? Yeah. And, and like, it's so really? hard for people to accept. Yeah. No, she's evil. Yeah. Uh, I, and I... F- I feel like they even then like later show that she's evil when they show her eating the bowl of cereal. Like she's on her bed. She's now, she, she, oh, I say bowl of cereal. She's got a glass of milk oh my in, a, in a glass. What an <laughs> and then she's got a bowl of like fruit loops. Yeah. Like, and it just shows the separation between everything that's colored and the pure white milk <laughs> in the glass with all wow. of her trophies her you know her are all the pictures on the wall now yeah yeah the, all the pictures are on the wall behind her as soon the, as she's able to do it she's exactly all back. and that that scene to me shows like this is not a brainwashing this is not a oh they coerced her into this she's part of it that scene i just feel like is beautifully crafted and like it's just stuck with me for so long and it does change the movie when you watch it again as well because the entire time the the, the same thing that you fell for like you now see it for what it is. It's something you can't stop. It's it makes it even more tragic and kind of horrific the second time you watch it. Yeah. And then every action in the second view and every action she does, you're like scrutinizing it and you're like, Oh look, I see it. I see it. As a, if I can speak uh, on behalf of all white people, I think, um, thank you. (laughs) I think it's a film with two twists when you're white. I watched it in a cinema with a, with a mostly white audience. And there's the scene at the end when the cops or what we think are the cops finally arrive. Brilliant. There was an audible gasp from the theater I was in when the, when the white people in the audience realized that the cops arriving in this situation wasn't looks like wasn't going to be good news when they suddenly realized that, uh, that, the cops are not going to help now. That was the whoa moment that the film had. Well, that was the original ending. Correct. Was oh, going to be that. Stop stealing I'm sorry, my I'm points. Sorry. <laughs> I pretend I didn't say no, that? No, no, no. Sorry. Pick it up, Jack. Pick it up. Go ahead. No, no, no. Clarice, go. Do your thing. I want to I'll I know you, uh, That was no, no, all no. I had to say. That was going to be the ending. Oh, and yeah. they changed it because it was like, they were like, we have to have a happy ending. This is too But it's horrifying. also like, I think that they get to have their cake and eat it too. I think it's a more powerful ending this way. Yeah. Because of the idea it plants in your head. Yeah. And uh, that's what I love about it as well, because I am. Um, the guy who hates all happy endings like I feel like it's got to end dark let's be more realistic to life but when the police car pulls up like me watching it I'm like oh shit like it's all like there's no explaining your way out of this like you like it's just not gonna work especially in the in they're the, trying in the to world. steal black people's bodies yes. <laughs> especially in the world that they've set up but then that that relief when it's his friend it's like oh that's good, but I don't feel like they come away from there winning. Yeah, that house is gone, but everything that it stands for and those people out there trying to still, like, they're still there. Like, that that threat is still 
very looming. And it's like, it's for me, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect ending. I think it would also be uh, wrong to talk about memorable scenes in Get Out and not talk about the first Sunken Place scene with the stirring in the tea and him discovering this moment of trauma in his head before she tells him to sink into the floor. Yeah, I mean, even before that, I think when they're at the table in the garden and it's the first time she taps, it's not a cup of tea. She taps the glass three times when he just first mentions that his mum's passed away. Like, just setting up the next time See, when she gets him into that. the stunk place is, um, is, is crazy to me. Just having the tea, which has meant so much in like the real world, in what people have been fighting over and stuff and like stuff like that, to be the catalyst with the silver spoon inside of it, tapping on it, like it's just more mind blowing moments for me. So yeah, I thought man. I thought it was good, and just even the explanation of what the sunken place is and how you're going to be there, knowing everything that's happened, and a passenger, and no one's going to help you. Like, it's, for me, it's just scary, scary stuff. Like, And it feels like all the images as well are like, there's meanings upon meanings upon meanings on everything in it. And the fact that he's using all this cinematic language to get that across to you. Like, for example, the fact that, and I don't know if he did this intentionally, I'm sure he did, but the fact that there's no sound in the sunken place as well. The fact that they're like, they literally lose their voice. Yeah, it's like, just like drowned in, just, just floating in, in, in limbo. It's, uh, yeah, I it's amazing. It. All right, well, let's talk about The Shining now. Memorable scenes from The Shining. Any? I mean, any all? Which one do you want to pick? Can I tell you what my actual, the bit of The Shining that scares me the most, and it's not the obvious bit. Please. Um, I get very scared by the blowjob bear. Is that that character's official name, blowjob, blowjob bear? bear? Blowjob bear. Yeah. It is now. Yeah. <laughs> what was also interesting, that Kubrick was very influenced by David Lynch's Eraserhead, and he showed it to the cast and crew before they started filming, saying... I want this. <laughs> and the sort of lynching, there is a kind of lynching aspect to The Shining in the way that you are presented with these uh, very American images and and then are shown something corrupted within that. And I guess like I, I always think of Room 237, I mean, very iconic scene, where you go in and it's just a very nice, well, nice, nice hotel room with the the lamp, the lamp lighting, which feels very kind of ordinary, but sickly at the same time. And then you go in the bathroom and it's, you know, green bathrooms in the 70s, very popular. <laughs> Everyone had a green bathroom so for some reason. Can't beat here's an avocado a, bath. Here's another green bathroom, looks ordinary. And oh, okay, there's a there's a sexy woman here. What's happening? And and then that sort of like that shift between the desire, the sexuality, and, and she seduces him, and then boom, there comes in the super, supernatural element. She's actually a rotting corpse. And yeah, I just I feel like you. That's what's so brilliant about The Shining is that it's just that constant flux. So you, it never feels like it goes full-blown horror movie until the very very end until the axe attack most of it you're just trying to get to grips with what's happening and you're very much not being provided any kind of explanation so you spend a lot of the film going is this in their imagination mm -hmm. or is this real is this actually a haunted hotel or is everyone just so bored that they're starting to see ghosts <laughs> who knows when did you um first see The Shining? 
It feels like something that's always existed for us. So like, when, when, do you remember when you first watched it? Yeah, I saw it at my friend's house when I was a teenager. She invited me over and she was like, do you want to watch The Shining? And I I think I sort of came to cinephilia quite a late age because I, I don't know, I didn't super grow up with very with a lot of like the information about what stuff was. So I came to a lot of classic films with a very fresh mind and I sort of vaguely knew what The Shining was, but I didn't, I didn't know any of its legacy. And so I was, I was immediately hooked because it was so unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was so unlike all the horror movies that I was going to the cinema to see where it was just like, I don't know, <laughs> just like, blah, I'm scary, mm-hmm. and I'm a ghost, blah, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> this, this is like, oh, that chair in the background wasn't there before. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, oh, why doesn't the the layout of the Overlook Hotel make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, you look at the outside, and then you try and figure out where the rooms fit. They don't, and it's not a mistake. It's just, they went, it's a ghost story, mm-hmm. so it should be confusing and you should feel really disorientated the whole time. So other than Blowjob Bear, which of the really <laughs> famous ones? I know. I mean, Wait, let's read them off. Don't make me pick. Like you've got the blood in the hallway, you've got blood all the work hallway. and no play, you've got the axe. Yeah, come play with us, Danny. Yeah. And and also just him and the little tricycle that going unbroken around the take. Yeah. Yeah, which Shining was one of the very first films to use the Steadicam and the inventor of the Steadicam, Garrett Brown, was actually operating the camera during those scenes. That wow. is a fun fact. One point. Yay. Oh, that was and, a very invention they, of Steadicam. <laughs> I have a, a slight other extra fact. For that film, they invented the sort of low to the ground Steadicam take, which I think has been massively influential in horror film from that point on. Are you going to pick a famous scene? Um, am I going to be stubborn and just say no? All of them. <laughs> uh, it's so hard because they're all so iconic. I guess I'm going to pick Here's Johnny because mm-hmm. that is the most famous scene. And I want to talk about Jack Nicholson, obviously, but I'll save that for later. Okay, we'll come on to we'll come on to cast after this then. Let's do some points. So Alistair and Clarice got two bonus points each. I actually think, Joe, you, I'm going to give you a, a bonus point as well because you mentioned the... Um, what was it? It was the fun fact about her... Tapping on the glass. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, yeah. she taps on the teeth. Exactly. I hadn't even noticed that. Um, so I'm going to give you that one late in the game. But in terms of actual points, I'm going to give three points to get out because um, I think that... It, it's also nice as well that it's the most modern one that you've picked, but it feels like it's burrowed its way into pop culture so quickly and it's become so iconic for people of our generation. And I think it's also like, it's going to be generation defining, I think, that, that film. And there's so many moments in it. And it's and I like that you didn't go for the one that I was thinking of. I was immediately thinking of like the stirring in the tea. Like that to me felt like the standout. But actually you've proven that there's so many things in it that, that, um, that stand out in that movie. And then I'm going to go to The Shining for two points. And then one point for The Wicker Man. Well, but you I got mean, some lovely is, bonus points. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> fair. But like if one guy in a scary mask scares you, what about a whole island? It, I mean, I don't think anybody even wears an animal mask in Get Out. This is rigged. I don't, I don't know what <laughs> they is They don't, what is but there's lots of deer heads in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. There's no argument that Wicker Man is the least well-made of these three films, but I still hope to 
pull it back in future okay, rounds. Good luck. Right now, the points stand that The Shining is on four points. Uh, Get Out is also on four points. And The Wicker Man is just behind with three points. Okay. Clarice, you said you wanted to talk about Jack Nicholson, so let's move on to cast and come straight to The Shining and talk about Jack Nicholson. Yes. Well, I guess we're going to have to tackle the fact that Stephen King does not like this adaptation. So let's just get that over He's wrong, with. but that's fine. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> it's because in his version of The Shining, you know, he was trying to tackle his alcoholism at the time. So he sort of wrote Jack Torrance as a version of him and has a lot of empathy for him. And the big thing in the novel is that Jack Torrance is sort of and I don't know, gets rid of the demon of the Overlook Hotel long enough to to save his son and kind of a little bit be the hero at the end. Obviously, that doesn't happen in The Shining. And yeah, Jack Nicholson <laughs> is crazy from the well, start. Well, that's the thing. And and Stephen King was suggesting people like John Voight, like wanting kind of an everyman character so that we could see more of the descent. And what I yeah, what I like about Jack Nicholson is that. He like, he's just waiting for an excuse to kill his family. Like he is <laughs> sinister from the second he turns up on screen. And, and so I think it speaks more to, to what Kubrick was trying to do with the movie, where it's, it's a little bit less about the hotel being some kind of demonic, you know, taking possession of people. It's more just, here's this place that is just, it's just going to bring out the worst in people. And so he kind of comes in already a, a you know, a violent man. They talk about um, him having broken Danny's arm at one point, you know, and his wife, you know, is already scared of him. And I know people have been so cruel about Shelley Duvall's performance, but I think she is so perfect in this role because you get the sense that she has been dealing with a lot of shit from her husband and that she is basically in constant terror of him. And and so, yeah, and, and, and I think, like, the fact that Jack Nicholson at some points, like, it kind of seems like the performance is also almost comedic. You know, like, that here's Johnny and, like, love a life, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm just going to bash your brains in. It, it It's so, like, it's so walking the line between... This very I mean, you put his Joker terror. makeup on him and it's just it's just his Joker. Kind of, yeah. And it's like walking this very like thin line between like the the genuine terror of an abusive, violent husband versus this sort of like jokey demonic like figure, like just completely surreal version of of crazy and I think that, I don't know, I think that really works for me for the movie, for what Kubrick's trying to do is you want that sort of you never really want to get a grasp of his character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, th I think it works as well because from my perspective, I view it and has have always viewed it from the point of view of Danny. That mm. It feels like the insane, horrible divisiveness of uh, parents who shouldn't be together. Yeah, that is what's interesting about it is that Yes, there are spooky elements to his performance, but this was actually a big buck against the trend of like, it would come, it'd come out just after The Omen and where everyone's making their kids real creepy and demonic. And to have, yeah, little Danny actually be, be pure and, mm -hmm. and trying to maintain his innocence in literally the least innocent place ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I like that it isn't 
her descent into madness. I like that from the beginning. You're like, this guy's off. This guy's crazy. This, and we're just waiting for it to go off. I think you're right. Like, he's just waiting for an excuse to to kill everybody. Yeah, he was just waiting for some ghost bartender to be like, "Do you want some Jack Daniels and kill your family?" <laughs> <laughs> like, sure. Side of kill your family with that? Sure, I would love to. Thank you, <laughs> Alistair. Let's come to you next. Let's talk about the Wicker Man. Well, um, it's got Christopher Lee in it. Case closed. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, look, I was just. There, I don't know if you can see, but there's an absolutely beautiful illustration of the lockdown hair that Christopher Lee is rocking throughout the whole film. And I know people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and my hair is ridiculous. I disagree. He, he has a shock of of wild hair that it is upstaging almost everybody else in every scene, uh, and it's got a cast of women who are blonde first and Scottish. Tenth, if they so, need to be. <laughs> yeah, so we've got uh, Britt Eklund, who is Swedish. We've got, um, I've written down the names to make sure. Oh, we've got uh, Ingrid Pitt, who is Polish. Uh, and they haven't dubbed her with a Scottish actress, which is unfortunate because she has a Polish accent. And Diane Salento, who's Australian, who's doing a decent job for an Australian. Well done to her. And Irene Sunters, who amazingly is actually a Scottish woman. She's from Glasgow. Uh, and they all have the the same chilling... Uh, blonde hair, which which is, I think, in the film, simultaneously supposed to be attractive and um, sort of fairy-like, sort of uh, otherworldly, as they exist on this Scottish island, which is... Uh, I think the island is, though it's not, there's no real island. It's a character in the film. It's set. It's they mention Mull and um, and the, the Isle of Lewis. So we're talking, this is the part of Scotland that my mum is from, and you. It doesn't look anything like the island, the island of Summer Isle, which is very warm, and they have palm trees and they grow fruit. It's it, the island plays a very and weird. And if they character. don't grow, they'll. And if they don't go fruit, they murder a policeman, obviously. And then there's Edward Woodward, who is there to be humiliated, and he's brilliant at that because he's so incredibly rigid and uptight. And I think, in opposite to Jack Nicholson, he is playing the descent into somebody driven mad. Absolutely, uh, and reasonably so. Uh, and but also um, talking about the the split between comic and uh, and horrific. Like by the end of the film, the the uptight policeman from the mainland is literally dressed as a clown. He's dressed as Mister Punch. And has Christopher Lee shouting at him, cut a few capers, man, come on. So he has to maintain his cover by dancing around like a fool. Like the film is laughing at him. Mm. Um, and, and he's so serious and so desperate as all of these increasingly ludicrous and awful things happen. Uh, he, it, he's, he's the anti-Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Let's talk about Get Out. Daniel Kaluuya's performance, I think, as well, is amazing just because of his vulnerability. And you always know what he's thinking, regardless of what he's saying. Um, when he has the conversation in the house with Rose at the beginning, and he's like, do your parents know I'm black? I feel like that's just a big moment for him. I feel like it's definitely a conversation he's been having with himself for ages, but only brought himself to have it with her two hours before they leave. I feel like that whole thing is... Like you can just tell he doesn't have to say that. And in the conversation in the forest, um, they've just had the bingo auction and he's there with her and he's like, look, I want to go home. And and like, I think Rose is amazing as well. We already touched on it earlier about her performance, her playing two characters. And I just feel like together, they just deliver. They just deliver on a relationship that I 100% believed in and then was 100% heartbroken when like, you see what it really is. So I, I loved all of it. I feel 
her mum's great as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, it's Catherine Keener. Yeah, like Catherine. her, like she's in another movie as well called Enough Said with um, what's his name from The Sopranos? Come on, Joe. The main, the main guy from The Sopranos. Uh, Tony. Who what's plays Tony Soprano? What's his name? This is this is terrible because oh, I Oh, James Gandolfini. Oh, there you go. Bonus point for Clarice. Yeah, no, that one's <laughs> I was deserved. trying to give it to Joe. <laughs> I could only think Sorry. Gandalf. I was halfway <laughs> there. And I didn't want to say it because people were like, oh, here he is, bringing up wizards again, as usual. <laughs> Sorry. So she's in another movie with James Gandolfini where she plays this like calm, kind of hippie-ish woman who, you know, is very like approachable in some ways. And in this, she's got that same tone but there's something incredibly terrifying about that. Do you know what I love about her performances? Because she's a psychiatrist and she's also like Rose's mum, when she's questioning him, you never feel like it's wrong because you're like, all right, boyfriend goes to girlfriend's house, meets mum, mum's going to have some questions about the smoking, about this and that. And on the first viewing, you're like, all right, this is a pretty innocent conversation. She's just trying to get to know you better. But then on second viewing, she doesn't want you to smoke because obviously you're degrading the body they're trying to steal. And she's just trying to, like, she's just trying to, she's just vetting your body to, to find out if this is what we want to put someone else into. And it's like, she plays that so well. And like, she, I feel like out of the whole family, she's probably the scariest. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. the... The brother for me, I love, I love what he does because Caleb Landry Jones. Yeah, because he's he's not even at, he's not even pretending that. <laughs> that do you know what I'm saying? He's not even pretending like, oh, we're trying to get you into the family. Like he's a dick from the yeah. beginning. Like, from the start, like he's the one who's like almost giving it away, and like, yeah. you can feel the rest of the family trying to calm him down. Like he's like a caged animal, like ready to just kill. Yeah, and then back to Daniel Kaluuya. That scene in the kitchen, I mean, in the dining. Uh, in, the, in the dining room where he gets up, he asks about MMA, he starts talking about with his genetics, if he pushed himself, he could be this. And he goes and grabs him and I'm like, Daniel Kaluuya, I feel like handles that perfectly. Like, like if that was a real life scenario and a drunk brother like tried to grab you, he, he's like, all right, cool. Like, I understand you're drunk, move away from me. Like, and he just, I just love it. I just love it. Cause yeah, I feel that like, tone there where yeah. he's like having to calmly deal with this massively inappropriate behavior, but having to do it in this way where he knows he can't let himself, you know, push this because it could go wrong. Yeah. And I feel like Daniel Kaluuya just, he does it all. I just, I really love it. I was, I was hurt that he didn't win an award for it. But yeah. I agree. I think Daniel Kaluuya's performance is like, I mean, it's star making, isn't it? Like he, he'd already been in our eyes as British people. Like he had been in a lot of stuff for a long time and we'd seen him in things as well, like Black Mirror. But then this was like, okay, Daniel Kaluuya is here. And then him going on and doing the opposite role in um, Steve McQueen's Widows, where he's like the most terrifying yeah. villain. Whereas here he gets to play this like very vulnerable, very exposed, but also heroic character. I think he's incredible. I'm just going to go ahead straight away, Joe, and give you the three points. <laughs> Thank you very much. Because I, I think that Daniel Kaluuya alone earns you that. We didn't even mention Bradley Whitford and his incredible, if I could have voted for Obama a third time line. Yeah. I was about to say, if I could have voted for Get Out to win this round again, I would. <laughs> okay, so I've already given the three points to Get Out. I'm going to give two points to The Shining. Because, I mean, Jack Nicholson, but also you're right, Shelley Duvall. And I think she is great in that. And we didn't touch on how she was treated on set and the way that you yes. were talking about yeah. how she's playing a terrified woman who doesn't know 
you know, where she lands. I think that that's what her experience on the set was with Kubrick and how he ignored her and how he berated her. And that's all quite a famous story. Yeah, because Kubrick had a very sort of immoral way of getting good performances out of people. And so, yeah, he basically separated Duval, told the crew, the crew not to talk to her. He only ever praised Jack Nicholson. So Jack Nicholson, like his ego was all puffed up. And the baseball bat scene was shot 127 times, which is a world record. And he used the third time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the sort of sad thing about The Shining is that, you know, Shelley Duvall is incredibly talented. That didn't need to happen to get that performance out of her. So that's two points for Clarice, but you also got a bonus point for something that I can't remember. What did I give you a bonus point for? Or remembering uh, the name uh, of James Gandolfini which is not relevant to this conversation, but you get a bonus point because that's what I'm we do. I'm just here. remembering names today. That's my purpose here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting nothing you get for Gandalf. A single point, oh. Although yeah, no. it doesn't... A single point for Christopher Lee. Christopher no, Lee, I, and also you're right, Edward Woodward's play... But I, this is what I wanted to say is that this doesn't mean that the Wicker Man is bad. It just means that I have argued badly, I see. So it's, sure. I have failed, but the <laughs> film is good. Okay, I take, I take your one point, but I, I am definitely going to win the next round. Okay, we'll see. Right now, the points are seven apiece for The Shining and Get Out, so we're neck and neck, and The Wicker Man has four points, but there's still room, and you never know what I'll do with the bonus points. Okay. It, could, it could all go out the window. Okay, moving on to cultural impact. How has your pick stood the test of time? Has it influenced the entire direction of the genre of horror? Did the Simpsons parody it? So now most people <laughs> who are my age saw the parody before they saw the actual film. And now they've got this like warped impression of what the film was <laughs> before they actually saw it. The Shining, coming to you. Yeah, <laughs> I have to always remind myself that uh, Jack Nicholson does not say, give me the bat, bat, boo, boo. I literally, I have like a weird brain thing where I always think that's in The Shining and it's not. It isn't. <laughs> but The Shining is my favorite like Simpsons thing ever. I think it's perfect, a perfect parody. And uh, I've known people who actually argue it's better than The Shining. <laughs> I don't think they're right, but I think it speaks to the cultural legacy of The Shining, that something so great could come out of it. It is, I think it is interesting looking at modern horror and seeing, you know, the the sense of atmosphere and the sense of mood that is is often being borrowed from Kubrick and the sense of, I think the sense of stillness, which if you think about it, it's quite popular in a lot of like these elevated horror movies is, is showing something so ordinary and letting that be eerie in itself, which I think Get Out does an incredible job of doing that of like, here's this very nice suburban house, but the core of it is rotten. You are correct that I think all modern horror kind of looks to The Shining as a sort of yeah. redefinition of what Robert it can Eggers, be. Yeah. when he was making The Witch, he said he was disgusted by how much of it was influenced by Kubrick because he wanted to be original. And then he was like, no, everything's just, just a Kubrick Cuba. ripoff. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's let's go over, let's go to Get Out next. And yeah. we'll go to The Wicked. I'm interested to see, I want to give you more time, Alistair. To I'm, I, I, I don't need more time because I'm going to win this round. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm confident, but please give, give out a chance. Like, I, I definitely think that if we're talking about cultural impact, The Shining is 
has the most, you know what mm. I'm saying? Like it's influenced everything. And even in this Jordan Peele, like admits to like paying so much homage to the movie. I think it's like the the opening scene, the credits of Get Out are the same as The Shining in like yes. blue, it comes up. And it's that the, same sort of like, overhead shots yeah, that, of somebody oh, yeah well like i said at the beginning of this like yeah. all of them are the character goes to strange new place yeah there's all of that but i do for, definitely feel like get out does try to craft its own direction and and, and style i mean it only came out what four years ago but it was in the top 10 and most profitable films of 2017 um one best original screenplay and it got some good nominations i feel like it's tough to say where Get Out is going to lead to, but I definitely do think it is like the new direction of of horror. It 100% is. I mean, there's a there's a show on Amazon Prime right now called Them, which yes. is absolutely riffing off Jordan yeah. Peele's brand. Yeah. I just love that Get Out like took chances and really tried to put a whole different like narrative and spin on what horror is. I think you're right. I think there was like a new wave of horror films that were kind of coming out in the sort of mid 2010s i'm thinking about things like it follows which started to make people feel like oh okay is horror getting a, a second chance again because it had become kind of jump scary and yeah I, I definitely think just in horror in general i feel like we're moving we're definitely moving away from just jump scares hack and slash and stuff like that and getting more into social talking yep. about social narratives in the horror and things don't necessarily have to be jump out scary. They can be like, Unsightly. go home. Yeah, go home, sit down and think about this scary, which is to me, and this is what Get Out does, is make is that's just way more scarier than getting chased by Michael Myers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think like what I find so cool and interesting about Jordan Peele is, is that he is, like when you read interviews with him, like he is such a fan of the genre and he's so like passionate about it. And through his work, he's kind of been able to refocus energies on 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 The Shining and also uh, the Twilight Zone because obviously he then went to to produce and kind of play the narrator role in the the new series of it and to go okay remember how great because everyone kind of forgot how great the original Twilight Zone was and the Rod Serling's role in that and and how kind of radical those episodes could be. The fact that he kind of reawakened everyone to this great legacy of horror and then sort of, in a way, yeah, just kind of slightly altered the route of modern horror to, to push it towards this, this yeah, this really socially conscious, really smart and just like cool looking as well. It's interesting like that the genre look great. that is best for representing today's, you know, world is a horror <laughs> film like, it, horror is the genre that people are like yeah that's what we should explore today too <laughs> we live in a scary yeah. world so, okay yeah. alistair follow right. that uh well easily because you're right in, when you say that um you know kubrick is a huge star director and jordan peele i i i think arguably i think get out is probably not going to be his best film because he's going to go on to make more films and 2001 it, it, you know the the other Kubrick films that are out there, I don't think The Shining is even Kubrick's best film. Mm. These guys are huge stars, and these films are part of you know their pantheon, part of part of their great works. Nobody even knows who directed The Wicker Man. It was Robin Hardy, I think. I had to look it up. He he went on to make two other films. Bonus that point was it. for for 
for locking that up. Was and it one also, of them a sequel yeah, to Yes, the and one of them was in 2011, and it was a sequel to The Wicker Man, and it has about... It has not great reviews. I haven't seen it. The, it. the point, this is a film which is famous in itself. It's got Christopher Lee in it, which is the the the, the thing that makes it part of the, the world of horror. Um, and he thought it was his best film. You don't need to have seen The Wicker Man to know anything about The Wicker Man. It is its own Hang thing. On, Christopher Lee thought that was his best film. I think so. Oh, wow. Which is, or at least his best horror or his best role. Now, that is a, a pretty big endorsement for someone who's been in literally every other horror film. And, and Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings. And I, here's the main thing. In terms of cultural influence, if you think about like Jaws. After seeing Jaws, nobody wanted to go in the sea. Now, if someone says to you, do you want to go to a lovely hotel? You'll say yes. If someone says to you, do you want to come and meet my in-laws? You'll go, okay. If someone says, do you want to get in a wicker man? You'll go, no. <laughs> no, I won't get in a wicker man. And that is the reason it's that I win this round point of view to take yes i think the cultural impacts of the of the wicker man as a film is is stronger because it exists as an entity it's not part of someone's filmography it doesn't belong to a particular school you know it it, it belongs to the genre of folk horror which it's also basically invented it's its own thing sitting out there like a weird scottish island on its own freaking you out i think that was a wonderful argument to take i love the enthusiasm but i'm going to give you one point what this is <laughs> this is the, oh, this is a crime unexpected art and scotland one point for that but there was a bonus point for being honest and saying that you had to look up the director's name not uh, a, not a particularly famous director and then it's going to be two points for get out um because i think that it absolutely is going to like, i think i've already said it in this episode it's going to be genre defining and career defining and you know all the rest of that but has remained to be seen but absolutely has found its way into pop culture already but you can't deny that the shining is the most influential maybe ever <laughs> horror movie so three points to the shining it's unfair that it got i lost parody it's really unfair it's that i lost just because the wicker parody. man is worse than the other two films i really don't <laughs> i i really made an effort here you really did and i appreciate the fact that you didn't just go ah whatever like, <laughs> you actually argued <laughs> I like that. And not only did I say my film was good, I really tried to take down their films as well. I really, I really did not enter into the spirit of this. You I really might tried get some to... points in the IMDb round. Jack's not in control of that. <laughs> I'm not in control of that. Hopefully, hopefully. So right now the points are, The Shining is leading with 10 points. Mm. Just behind is Get Out with nine points. And The oh, Wicker Man. close. Six points, which I think is respectable. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, God. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just take my punishment. We don't know what's going to happen in the IMDb round, though. Where do you think your films are going to land? I'm going to flipping lose. Do you, think that, do you think The Wicker Man is destined to be the... No, I don't, because I'm hoping that internet racists will have brought down the score of Get Out. So I think I have a chance. We can all hope for that. Everyone in my film's white. Can I just say I don't hope for that? <laughs> Look, I hate to side... Uh, I hate to side that's the closest worst Chris has ever got to the microphone. I don't believe that. I don't... I don't know. I definitely feel I like that's what happened. Get Out I, well. I, I was like... While well, I was thinking, I was just like, yeah, it's got downvoted by them guys for sure. So... I, 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 mean, I, think I, I would hate be, to win under those circumstances I, think it's I will take be, it uh, The Shining The Wicker Man and then Get Out okay does anybody disagree with that I think The Shining Get Out and then The Wicker Man Alexa tell me the IMDB rating for The Wicker Man the original 
The movie The Wicker Man has an IMDb rating of 7.5 out of 10. No, I'm out of this one. 7.5 is respectable. Is that okay? I was really hoping to be above 8. Okay. Where do you think the other ones are? Do you think Get Out can beat that? Yeah, now, yeah. now that I've heard that number, yeah, I think, um, I think once again, I'm losing. Okay, here we go. Alexa, tell me the IMDb rating for Get Out. Get Out has an IMDb rating of 7.7 7 out of 10. I was expecting it to be higher than that. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely some malicious downloads. There's definitely some there. internet racists. Yep. Yeah. Bringing that down to 7. Point, that should absolutely be above 8. I mean, this is not going to be a twist. Alexa, <laughs> tell me the IMDb rating for The Shining. The Shining has an IMDb rating of 8.4 out of 10. Of course it does. So... At the end now, The Shining has 13 points, followed by Get Out with 11 points, and The Wicker Man with a respectable 7 points. <laughs> Which is slightly lower than its IMDb rating, but not, <laughs> not by a lot. I mean, like a true horror film, though, that was just uh, a, a slow, inexorable journey towards a horrible ending, i.e. me losing, which we all knew was coming from and the start. And you did journey to a foreign place. <laughs> yes, yes, Kentish Town. <laughs> full, of, full of strange people with their own customs that I despise. Set on fire now. <laughs> so that means that we have crowned Clarice and The Shining with the Screen Test Awards as the best horror movie of all time. Is anybody disappointed that The Shining has been crowned with that? Definitely. I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, I'm going to scare you with the award. <laughs> Wow, I didn't realise what special effects you've had on this show. That's amazing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's an inexpensive way of doing it, but it's an effective way of doing it. Yeah, I'd just like to thank Blowjob Bear for giving me many nightmares. What do you want to say? He's just a little guy in a bear costume trying to have a nice time. <laughs> we're ruining it for him. So shout out to that guy. So The Shining is the last film standing in our showdown of the greatest horror films ever made. And make sure you head over to Prime Video to check out St. Maud. It's a fantastic horror film and genuinely one of the best films that I saw last year. And the new series Them is also available as well as classics like Psycho and a documentary about The Shining called Room 237, which I've been meaning to watch for ages. So I'm glad that that that's there. I'll be watching that when I get home. And join us next Wednesday when we'll be rubbing shoulders with the criminal underworld to decide the best British gangster film ever made. It's going to be emotional. Or, you know, however gangsters talk. Goodbye! Now put in like a jump scare that nobody else will expect. Just, <laughs> just like a big, ah, moment. <laughs> there we go. That'll do.